Good morning. It is great to be here. Uh, my name is Adam. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, they, for those who don't know, I am the executive director of the Factory Ministries. Here it is on my shirt, uh, representing today. Uh, the fa- for those of you that may not know, I think most of you know, I love, love, love coming to this church, uh, Grace Point, uh, because of the impact that you guys have. Even as I listen to Greg as you're praying and your awareness of what's happening with your neighbors just to our west or our east, east, Coatesville's east, east. Um, sorry, I always, always got to do that W-E, we, I don't know, I digress. Let me back to um, just to your east. So thank you guys. You guys make a significant impact here in the community. Uh, the Factory Ministries, for those of you that may not know, maybe your guests today, maybe you're online watching for the, uh, so what is the Factory Ministries? We're a faith-based human service agency that really steps towards the alleviation of poverty. That's what we're really all about. We do this, and our, our mission is to empower people Uh, to connect them to resources because we define poverty not just by what's in your wallet or your bank account, but by the resources that you're connected or not connected to. Uh, When I'm in in poverty, I could be spiritually impoverished, I could be relationally impoverished, intellectually impoverished. There's a number of things that when I lack resources, I'm going to struggle at some capacity with how we define poverty. Uh, So as we um, empower, connect, and then the final thing we love to do is to build community. And that's really kind of, I see my role here this morning, is to be here to help build and strengthen the community in which we live in, and the community in which we all pull together in and love our neighbors well. So I'm going to step into that place this morning and do what I can to uh, kind of deliver spiritual resources, if you will, to help build our community. Um, let me jump in by asking this question. It's a question I've thought a lot about, and I'll get into some of my story of where this message comes from uh, throughout this message. But have you ever felt judged, truly judged? Now, when I ask that question, I mean, let me define and kind of set the context for you. I'm not so much asking, you know, that, that moment maybe where you're sitting at the red light and you pull out your phone and you're, you're taking care of some important business and you kind of think you have your mind on the green light, but you really don't and you didn't realize that until the guy behind you blows their horn really loud. And then as they pull around you to get around you all upset, you see them mouthing something and their hands shaking and, and, and in that moment you feel judged. Now... The judgment I'd like to talk about today goes a step deeper and broader. The the judgment, when I ask the question, have you ever felt judged? I want to ask, have you ever felt judged in the context of relationships? Relationships that should be loving, that should be accepting and warm, and a place to come for safety. Uh, Maybe those, uh, it could be at school. Maybe at lunch, you begin to hear rumors that have been moving around about you that that really begin to stick in and realize, oh my gosh, this has been happening for a while. And you begin to live in the context of these relationships, a place where you're coming to learn and grow, but you're finding you're in a context of judgment. Maybe it's with uh, your family. Maybe you're 60 years old, but your entire life, you have been working hard to prove to your mom and dad that you're not the bad kid that you believe they thought and they cast upon you. Judgment in the context of loving, nurturing relationships that should exist. Maybe it's with a husband, or maybe it's with a spouse, or a wife. Maybe it's with coworkers. It's with your boss, or your coach. Maybe it's with, from a pastor, or in a, in a religious community uh, like a church. But you sit in those moments where, where you uh, feel these opinions, and these comments, and these statements that come at you. Have you ever been there? Now, when you're in those places, because I'm going to take a stab at it, that most of us, if we've lived long enough, we've experienced judgment at some capacity. The question I'm going to ask this morning, to take a step deeper, what do you do when you feel judged? 
What happens? Now, when I was, uh, <laughs> when I was growing up uh, in the 80s, the most well-known Bible verse, hands down, if you go out in a community and you say, hey, do you know anything about the Bible? And even if they said no, you say, well, do you know at least one Bible verse? What Bible verse would likely would have they quoted would have been John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. Right? That's kind of the verse that was known. Ask teenagers today, what is the most known Bible verse? It is not John 3.16. The most known Bible verse are Jesus' words from Matthew that say, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, in Jesus' words, he tells us, if you listen to those statements, he, he himself speaks to what happens when we judge or feel judged. What, what does he say? Judge not, lest you be judged. So a lot of times what happens when judgment comes our way, we have this tendency, it's very natural and very normal, to immediately give it right back and to judge in reply. Now what I, um, from my experience, this does not make life better at all. <laughs> my experience is that before long, when I'm in that position, I soon don't even like myself anymore. Before long, I'm soon a more rigid proponent of my own views, ideals, and philosophies. Before long, I find myself narrower and narrower in the way that I experience and interpret life. Anxiety begins to creep in. Stress rises. We begin, I begin to find myself reacting to life more than simply living life. I soon find myself in a position where I describe it. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Now, what I want to do this morning, if you'll allow me, um, when Tim asked me to share this morning, I thought, you know, oftentimes what I do, because I was a senior pastor for nine years, so I've got this whole file of sermons, and some of them were pretty good. So I have this tendency to go back in and just want to bring it out and say, Whoa, these guys have never heard this. What I'm choosing to do this morning is actually, I wrote a whole new sermon for this morning, and what I'm, it's actually, what I did is simply took my journal and pulled some pages from it from the last year. Because of some personal circumstances that kicked into play about three years ago, I have been struggling immensely with feeling judged. And I've not liked what it's done to me at all. Now, in trying to find life and freedom in that place, I was trying to figure out what to do. And I had this phrase that kept kicking off in my head. It was already referenced in the service. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. So as I'm sitting in this place, this personal journey, and I'm beginning to find, I'm trying to figure out how, Adam, do I get out of this position that I really, I want to experience life and I want to live it. So this thought pops in my head. It's Romans chapter 2. It's at the very end of the verse. I'm not going to read the whole verse. I'm just going to read the last sentence. God's kindness, I'm reading out of the NIV Bible, God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Now, what I did is I read this, and I meditated on it. I said, you know what? And I went back through and started reading the context of this verse, all the verses that go around it. And where I've been for the last years, I have just, I've not left Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 for the last year. There's stuff in here that has brought me life, that has helped me, that has nourished me. 
There's stuff that's confronted me and challenged me. There's stuff that's made me cry. And there are pieces in here that I still don't understand. So I hesitate even in bringing this this morning because I'm like, ah, there's, and I'll point out a few of them that really still confound me. And maybe you could shoot me a message this week and say, Adam, I got some insight in you for that. So God's kindness leads to repentance. If you look right before those verses in chapter 2, there's a lot of comments there on judgment. What I actually like to do is go all the way back to chapter 1. Let's start at verse 16 as I want to work back towards verse 4. And just, what do we do when I'm in this position of feeling judged? Chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Have you ever heard of the word gospel? We throw that around in church a lot. What does it mean? Literally, in the Greek, it means good news. Well, what is the good news? Well, here, I love this definition. It is the power of God for the salvation of all who, what's it say? Believe. The power of God, not the power of your parents, not the power of your spouse, not the power of your church or your pastor, not your power and your work and your obedience. It is a work of God that only he can do. It's his power put on display in our lives. And that gospel is for all who, say it again, believe. Now, obedience is very important. If you go back to verse 5, I don't have time to just go back to verse 5, you'll see a, a big emphasis throughout all of Romans 1, 2, and 3 on obedience. It's important, but it's not the gospel. And I love it, it says there's a righteousness that's available, and that righteousness is found, he quotes, he quotes the early part of our scriptures from Isaiah. It says that righteousness comes by faith. That's the gospel. Now, verse 18, verse 18 is one of the places that confounds me. Now, remember, chapter 2, verse 4 said the kindness of God leads to repentance. Have you ever met a person who's both kind and angry? Have you ever met that person? Both, you'd describe them as gentle and tolerant and patient, but also angry. This is one of these verses that confounds me. So my heart was drawn to this for whatever reason. God laid it in my heart and mind to come to this section of Scripture for the last year. And I'm like, God's kindness leads to repentance. But look at verse 18. How's it open up? The wrath. Like, when I hear the word wrath, I don't just think I'm angry. I think, whoa, back away. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the what? Godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. A key concept, I want to hold on to that. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, I don't understand this. I'm still mining the depths of this. What does it mean that God's kindness leads to repentance, but he's also very angry? I'm still, I'm, that's, I'll just throw that out there to say, hey, don't be afraid to ask questions of the scripture and of God. Push in. 
Look for those things that don't line up. And often when you dive and mine the depth of them is where you'll find life. And I'm trusting at some point in my journey, I'm going to find connection and answer to how verse 18 of chapter 1 and verse 4 of chapter 2 go together. But it continues, why is God angry? They say they suppress the truth. Well, what truth do they suppress? Look at verse 19. It's going to answer it. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So what they're suppressing is knowledge of God. Now you get to verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Now if you're here this morning and you would describe yourself as an atheist or maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're here this morning, you're an agnostic, and you kind of don't really, you know, you just kind of, eh. Or you're hostile or skeptical towards Christianity, the God that created heaven and earth. The reality is in, every, in you, in every atheist, you, <laughs> Sam Harris, one of the most brilliant, brilliant thinkers, an atheist, Sam Harris, deep in his heart, knows that there is something that he is suppressing. It's what this verse says. You can take it to the bank. It says, when I go to the beach and I stand on, this, on, the, on the edge of that shore and I feel the power and I look out at the, ma- the, the vast expanse or I, or I stand maybe at the, at the base of the Alps and look up at the snowy peaks or walk through the redwoods or, or travel through Yosemite, When I go out into creation and I look up at the stars, or when I look back inwards towards my own human body, it all screams something. It screams that there is a God. And specifically, what does it scream? Look at the two qualities that he gives. His divine what? His power. His divine nature. He is God, and I am not. It screams it all around us. Now, as you continue in this passage, and um, verse 21, it says, For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, and he's going to go deeper, because of this, God gave them over. This, This phrase continues to get repeated. God gave them over to the shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, their men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossipers, slanders, God-haters, 
insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil and disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they do not continue to do these very things. They, oh, sorry, they also continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So there's this walking out in creation and seeing that there is a creator, suppressing that truth, and then exchanging for something else. <coughs> Excuse me. It says they don't honor or thank God. And what I find a lot, people who don't show gratitude are often people who are, see themselves as entitled. They think they deserved what they have. They've worked for what they have. They're the product of their good choices, of their hard work. And therefore, I'm less likely to thank. But if God says they don't thank me, they don't come to me, in turn, they make an exchange. Instead of looking to me, the creator of heaven and earth, to order their lives and their footsteps, in order to look to me to find life and identity and value and worth, they look to their jobs and their careers and their families and their wives and their husbands and their kids and their sports. They look to their bank accounts and their cars and their houses. They look to fame and TikTok and, and all the other things that we can do to kind of gain this instant momentary notoriety. They look to leaving a mark and a legacy. They look to religion and good works and good deeds and serving. They look to a lot of things that are often very, very good things that are life-giving things, but not the total thing. They make this exchange. One of the number one ways you know that you've made an exchange is because one of the number one things I've found is you can never get enough of what you don't need. A thing that's not going to ultimately fill you up, you can never get enough of it. It's how addictions form. You keep coming back, you keep coming back, you keep coming back, but all the while, there's an emptiness that claws and nags at your soul. He says, this is what we do. Now you say, Adam, goodness, you started out with the kindness of God. It leads to repentance, and here we are, but this is what the passage does. And one of the things I find interesting, too, at verse um, 32, it says they approve. One of the things that I, I wish we would spend more time in evangelical churches talking about is the degrees of sin and evil. Not all sin is created equal. This is constantly talked. Matter of fact, there are even degrees of punishment, eternal punishment. And I love what he says in verse 32. It gave me a lot of insights. I've been studying this. I've kind of pulled this out. I've really thought about this. You engage someone who is doing something wrong. And look at the list they give. Hate, gossip. I mean, there's a whole list there. When you engage someone who is doing that, and they're hiding it, diverting it, defending that they're not, trying to make it look different, that's normal. What's very bad... <laughs> is when we go the opposite direction then. When evil has reached its final pinnacle, when it, when it, has, when it has graduated to, to full-blown evil, it's when not only do I do it, I now stand by it. And I'm going to encourage you to do it too. And I'm even going to go out and legislate laws that say that it's right to do. That's when evil has reached its, its whew, here we are. 
Now, what I find so fascinating about this passage is God says he turns them over. This is actually a very beautiful thing that I think I've taken a lot from. He doesn't coerce. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't demand. When you read chapter 2, verse 4, it says his kindness leads towards repentance. He doesn't make you. He doesn't demand. He doesn't. He just simply steps back and lets the natural consequences of how he's designed life to work to play out. It's like he removes his hands and says, if that's the life that you want, it breaks my heart and even makes me angry because I know I'm a jealous God and in me you will find life. But go do it. I think this is a great concept for parenting, especially parenting teenagers and adult children. Just say, okay, there's natural consequences. Go, it breaks my heart, but go experience life. Now, chapter two, why I came this morning is to encourage our hearts with this. Chapter two then shifts. You, therefore, have no excuse You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. I want to set on this one a little bit. It's based on truth. So when you, (laughs) I love this statement, when you, a mere man or woman, Pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? And then verse 4, this well-known verse, the verse that drew me into this passage in the first place. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Not really, isn't it? God's kindness leads you towards repentance. So as I sat in that place feeling judged and trying to unpack what do I do with that, How do I step into this? I found myself, as I shared earlier, my experience was getting narrower, narrower. The anxiety rising. I didn't like myself. I found myself judging in response. When I've come to this, I've begun to stop and say, you know what, I am merely a man. Who am I to judge in response? In fact, I don't even know why they're judging me. It may not even be their problem. When I really stop to meditate on this, the pages I've pulled from my journal, what I've really come to realize, the problem with my judgment, I think with our judgment, is often we cannot see the whole picture. What I see overlaid throughout this entire chapter one and into chapter two is I am not God. Repentance is the way of life. And what repentance really means is simply stopping and saying, I am not in control of my life. I'm not. I am not in control. I am not God. He is. I'm going to change my thinking and order my life around what he has called me to do. So I find a lot of times when we pass judgment, we don't know the whole picture. You don't know the individual's DNA. You know what research says? 
Those of you in this room with a high ACEs score, if you're familiar with trauma, you know the ACEs score, you take the test. Those of you with an extremely high ACEs score, it shapes the very fabric of your DNA, and when you have children, that moves on to them, and oftentimes your children, science has shown us this, oftentimes your children will exhibit signs of trauma, though they may live in a perfectly safe home environment. So when I think and see people act, I don't know how you're wired. I don't know what you're predisposed to. I don't know what's been passed to you from your family. I don't know what kind of family you've lived in. I don't know your health, what it's like to live with chronic pain. I don't, certainly don't know your intentions and your heart and your motives and what's happening inside of you. I don't know where you've grown. I don't know what your personality is. You know, some personalities are predisposed to be very agreeable. Right? You, you know people like that. And a lot of times I fear that in the church we make agreeableness kind of like supreme. Now, agreeable people are really fun to hang out with. But a contrarian sometimes isn't a contrarian out of evil. A contrarian sometimes is a contrarian because they've been wired that way. Because God's called them to do some things that are contrary. The Apostle Paul was probably not an agreeable man. Likely, when you read the scriptures, a good chance if you hung around the Apostle Paul, he'd feel a little bristly. I don't know what a person's background is, their trauma, what hurt's been done to them, what hurt they've done, where they've failed. I simply do not know the totality of what you face. So to judge you, or likewise you judge me, it's like saying, I'm God. I can render a verdict on you. Well, no, we can't. We can't. And God grades on a curve. I think the other thing, the problem is we think we control our lives. We live with an illusion of control. Who set your alarm clock this morning? What time did you set it for? Why did you set that? Who made that choice? What did you put on? Why did you put it on? Somebody say, well, she told me to put it on, so I really didn't control that. That's right, so she's in control, right? We live with this constant illusion of control in our lives. I picked my job. I picked the school I went to. I picked the route I drove to this place today. I picked the car. I, I pick everything. We live with a constant illusion of control. What underlies it is this thin ice that we break through in a hurry when we get a phone call from the police or we hear the word from the doctor. We open up that mail, and suddenly our world falls apart. We are not in control. My life is not a sum product of my hard work and my effort and my good choices. Now, those things are important, but they don't put me in control. So I think sometimes the problem where judgment goes bad is we live with this illusion of control when really we're not. So therefore, we think if I can control my life and I can quit doing that, you certainly can control yours. And I'm not going to judge you because you can't. The other thing, I, a word from an American diplomat, Dwight Morrow, he says it this way, we tend to judge ourselves by our ideals, but we judge others by their actions. Or the way some of you may have heard it said, we judge ourselves by our motives or intentions, and we judge others by their actions. So in other words, you may sit around as in your leadership team at work, assessing an employee in a situation with some criticalness and discernment, and you don't see it as judgment because it's probably not. You're discerning 
There's a big difference. But you know your heart. You know your motives. Now, that's an employee comes to you now, and you feel criticized. We'll name it as criticism, but why don't we give them the benefit of the doubt that they've just made a discernment, and they're bringing that and trying to solve a problem in the same way that you were? Or that guy I talked about earlier that spun around you after he blew his horn, mouthing something. You know, if, if, you, are, if you are driving on the road, and you are swerving, because you're texting, and you probably shouldn't be, inside of your thought process is, I really have, this is crucial. If I don't take care of this, my kids, or my husband, or I'm going to lose, or you're, you're taking care of it. But here you are driving behind the other person swerving. Oh my gosh, can you believe they're texting and driving? Or when that person swings around you after they blew their horn, why don't we just jump to the conclusion that, well, they just want me to be safe. I should probably put my phone down. So we judge, we judge ourselves by our ideals and our intentions. But we look out at others and judge by actions, and it just doesn't work. In my line of work, I hear a lot about handouts and the system and how crooked the system is. <laughs> you know, it breaks my heart. We hear people say they take handouts so they're working the system. But we've all taken a handout. There isn't a one of you in this room that hasn't had a handout. I'm going to, I think that's probably true. There might be one of you. We all take handouts. That's how we make it in life. But a lot of times we think we deserved our handouts. Again, because we know our internal makeup and working because we have been trying really hard. You know, I hear another one a lot. They're lazy. Workforce development right now. No one can keep employees. No one can hire employees. What's because they're lazy. What's funny, when I don't accomplish my task, I sometimes will put it as I'm overworked, I'm sick, I'm stressed, I'm missing resources, I don't have what I need. <laughs> but they miss work. They're lazy. We have a tendency to do this, and it doesn't work. Now, here's where I want to land the plane. God's kindness is what the Scripture says leads to repentance. Guys, I was sitting in a place over the last couple years, sitting in a place of just really beginning to question my own faith. Praise God for some friends who came along and said, Adam, no, no, I don't think you're questioning. I think you're reforming. This judgment that you have received has been brutal and painful. But here's, please hear this. Where it was especially hard for me is because it was coming from religious circles. And what can happen when judgment flows in religious circles is we begin to equate that judgment to wor a word from God. And that's what I was beginning to soak in and take in. And how refreshing it's been for me over the last year to come to this place to realize, number one, God isn't judging me. He may see that I've done some things wrong. He may see that I've failed. But he is tolerant and kind and gentle. He is patient. And this friend looked at me, and, and I, it meant the world to me, and he texted me later, and he said, Adam, listen to me. Listen to me. You've not lost your faith. I think it's going to go deeper. Because why I can say that is because you're still holding on to the fact that God is in control at some capacity. 
He said, and what I'd encourage you to do is allow this judgment not to make you judgmental, but to step in and ask the question, what truth are you suppressing? Where have you made an exchange in your life looking to find life and you found nothing but death? Step back into that place and repent. Because I love that. His kindness leads to repentance. Repentance is the way of life. And when I say repentance, I'm not talking shifting from one act of work to another act of work. Shifting from things I've done bad to now things I'm going to do good. That's not what this text says when it means repentance. What does this text mean when it says repentance? Acknowledge that I am not God. And I'm not going to shift to find life from, I was finding life in my bad works, I'm going to go find life in my good works. It says, no, no, no. Shift to acknowledging that there is a God that created you, who loves you, who's painted a night sky for you, who's put together magnificent mountains and oceans and trees, who's wired you together, and, and he is here, and he is living, and he is saying, I am kind, and I am for you. And I've wired life to work in a certain way, and I want you to find that way. And I'm not going to force you and coerce you and make you and demand, but it works that way. And when you don't work that way, it's going to hurt, and I'm going to let it hurt. But please know that my kindness is calling you home. I'm going to grade you on a curve. I'm going to see all the factors. When the people around you don't, I see them. Hold on to me. Hold on to me. Father, I love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for life. Thank you for mercy. God, I thank you for friends. That friend that looked at me at that restaurant and then texted me later and said, Adam, it's good to reform faith. It's good to peel back layers and, and undo stuff that really was toxic in your own thinking. But Adam, don't let go of your creator. God, this world we live in right now is so toxic. It's weighed so heavy on me over these last two years. Vaccines and masks and black and white. Republican and Democrat. Ideologies that war and fight. And we judge and we're harsh. God, it has weighed heavy on my soul. And I know that I'm not alone. God, I pray right now for those in this room that it has weighed heavy on them. Those that are sitting in a place where they are being judged. And God, I pray for those that are judging. We're all, all either place, it is a hard place to be. God, may we be people that doesn't suppress truth, doesn't push it down or push it away. But God, would we be people who are drawn out into the wonder and beauty of who you are. And may we repent, God. May we be people who repent. Not the old religious concept of turning from bad works to good works. God, that's just, that's just one idol to another. But will we be people who stop and say, I am not in control? Will we be people who engage the scriptures and, and walk away changed? Will we be people who, who shift our social views because of what we engage in the scripture? Will we be people who once in a while stop and say, I'm wrong? Will we be people who are humble? God, my soul craves that for myself. And God, our community craves it.
May we be people who live with kindness and tolerance, not judgment, representing you well, because God, you're already screaming at them in creation. They don't need us to. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.